So you're very welcome to the Engage People podcast. Uh, this is the All Action, All Growth Recruiting podcast. Uh, Paul McClatchy is my name. I'm the founder of Engage People. Uh, we, we, our podcast, I guess the goal of it is to speak to some of the brains behind uh, some of Ireland's best companies, both people who run businesses as well as people who guide uh, some of the leaders behind, behind uh, some of Ireland's best businesses. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Shane Craddock, someone who I've known uh, very well over the last 10 years. Um, Shane, you, you've um, you you, you obviously run a, a successful consulting business. You work with uh, lots of interesting companies nationwide and, and, and pro- probably further afield as well. As you know, the background of our podcast focuses on employability, about what companies can do to attract, retain and develop their teams. So that, that's really going to be the kernel of today's discussion. Do, do you want to maybe briefly introduce yourself and then we could discuss in a little bit more detail about some of the things that you've witnessed, particularly over the last few years? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. And um, I, I, I particularly like your phrase, employer ability. I, I had to kind of like do a double take on it when I first heard it and saw it. And I thought, OK, but I thought actually that's a really nice phrase. And I guess we're going to get into it, I guess. Um, do I have to bore myself by talking about myself, Paul, in terms of an introduction? I do. Yeah. <laughs> you, you could give us a short version and, and then I, I, might, I might be able to pad it out a little bit. <laughs> well, the very short version is, um, I guess, I help leaders to achieve um, what I would call true success. Um, now that's a very personal statement to me. I've been doing in this space maybe for, well, about 23 years. I, I've worked with all sorts of types of leaders and like large companies, large corporates, well-known brands, entrepreneurial companies, Irish companies, international companies. And I guess I just get a kick as increasingly, specifically the last, I guess, maybe uh, eight, eight or nine years in particular, I've probably transitioned more and more into the inner game side of leadership and business as I've seen things change with my clients, as I guess I've changed myself. And um, as you'd know, um, maybe from our interactions as well over recent times, that I, I'm a big, obviously, I'm, you got to get results in the outer game world for reality. But increasingly, I think uh, the leverage is on the inner side. And obviously, maybe we can talk about that little a little bit in the podcast. So I don't, hopefully that came across as a, as a, as a logical explanation. Yeah, thanks very much. So we're we're in July 2023. Just within the broader sort of job market, um, been a lot of change over the last two years. So uh, obviously went through a lot of companies retrenched in their hiring. You know, 2020 came out of that in 2021. I'd say this time last year, a, a lot of companies I was speaking to were like, "What is going on?" They were really struggling both to retain people and then to attract people. Now there's obviously major skill shortages across some of the areas. We recruit in accounting, bank, insurance, and legal. I'd say to a degree that's calmed down a little bit. The demand is still there. Maybe companies have adjusted their attitudes a little bit that they're aware that this is going to be sort of an ongoing type piece. Um, but what's always interesting to me, Shane, is you work with leaders from a variety of companies. I mean, what what change have you noticed in terms of the mindset maybe of, so particularly some of the entrepreneurs you've worked with in relation to the focus in their teams? I suspect that, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, they were really looking at top line, bottom line, and anything that can impact that. And I think that's probably still the case and, and you know they obviously want to be successful in business but how has that impacted how they they run their business in relation to people well what came to mind as you were talking paul was that um, i'm thinking about maybe i don't know six seven years ago and talking to different entrepreneurs in particular about the value of getting the right culture in place and kind of just being scoffed at you know and then you know obviously i've worked with some corporates as well and very often i think sometimes they can do culture very badly as well so I think one of the changes that's happened coming out perhaps of this retention issue or trying to attract talent is companies being forced 
at all sizes to look at, well, how do you create a better culture? What does that actually mean? Not just like values on a wall spouting off rubbish. Like how do you create a place where people are kind of going, oh, actually, yeah, I want to stay. I want to stay here. It's not all about the money. Money's important, but it's not all about that. And so that's kind of one definite change is there's a more meaningful movement towards establishing and creating better cultures, not just like beanbags in the corner and free snacks. Um, that, that kind of wears off pretty quickly as a novelty. It's more to do with, I think, helping the person to become a, we use a corny phrase, a better version of themselves if they're interested. I think it's supporting them in their own career ambitions and then also creating a kind of a, a, a pleasant place to work, but, but also a place that delivers results. So that's one thing. I think the second thing that maybe is linked to it slightly is there's a definite move in the direction of better well-being in terms of helping staff to achieve better well-being. Now, I still think there's a long way to go. I think most companies are still only scratching the surface. I think there's a good mix of some that are really into it in a meaningful way, others that are just doing it for a tick box exercise. That's the second thing. And then the third thing I think will be, you know, that you'd be more familiar with probably than me is just the challenge of um, of managing a team in this kind of remote working hybrid world. And it, it is very challenging and um, employees are, you know, flexibility is very important now. This kind of remote element is without a doubt important to, I think, the majority of employees. And in some cases, it's a game changer in terms of it's a deal breaker to say, well, actually, I'm not going to work with you if, if there's no flexibility. And for a lot of employers, that's that's a challenge, a big challenge. So they're, they're just some things that I would have seen as, as changes. And in your view, you mentioned well-being there, Shane. In your view, where, where does well-being stop and start from an employer's responsibility or in terms of their input? Because there's a real variety of views, you know, in terms of how involved one should be, you know, with, within how an individual's uh, life, you know, how they, how yeah. they sort of uh, live their life on a day-to-day basis. It's a really good question because – I suppose from my perspective, if I'm being honest, the, the well-being has to start with the person, with the employee. They're, they're the ones that has, to, that has to own it. You know, if, if you're talking to somebody who just doesn't, just has a closed mind to that kind of stuff, you're kind of wasting your time. It's just obviously not important. So I think it's, to me, it's it's kind of a, like the ideal situation is like it's a two-way, it's a two-way kind of a partnership where I as the employee I value my well-being, but the company also educates me on it. They're kind of educating me on the value of it. Um, And the company should be educating employees and opening their eyes to the value because the bottom line is, if you can increase the well-being factor in your organization, your productivity goes up. Mm -hmm. The results are better. The creativity is better. And those things are going to become, in particular, creativity, adaptability. In the world that we're in now, as you said there, we're like we're in the middle of 2023. AI is putting its head above the parapet. It's only accelerating from here. And I think what, what you're going to see happening is companies scrambling, I suppose, to adapt AI. But also it's going to bring pressure on employees and companies around well-being. Yeah. But I think there's a real opportunity here to kind of like educate people on on the well-being, what it means. So it's kind of this two-way dance. The employer educates, they also provide supports um, without being overly, you know, without being overly taxed even with resources. But the employee has to be the one, I think, to own it. 
Yeah, yeah, very good. I mean, we we, we implemented um, pr- pr- probably around quarter three last year. So around this time last year, we implemented. Uh, I I call it train training Thursday or terrific training Thursday. Just just to, to annoy the team. Uh, uh, and it's probably slightly easier with a group of. Um, so we're you know fifteen people now. At the time, we we're probably ten. So eleven o'clock, we did a sort of you know a training, but it was it was very focused in you know probably watching a video uh, related to one of the you know the sort of recruitment training. Uh, methods that we use then there's a gym called Open sports clinic we train for an hour and then we've lunch together um so it was three hours of sort of quality time that we'd spend together i would be quite you know sort of probably the wrong word but encouraging from a mental and, or certainly from a physical fitness perspective because I've, I've always valued it myself of having that time away and i know, I know you you know you, you're a big fan of sort of early morning walks and getting into nature um, and yeah. having that time away from your desk uh you know and, and i sort of almost encourage it during the work day because you're not thinking about you know the challenges that go with you know the day-to-day um you know the, the natural of what occurs in work but i like to think that's that's been something that's uh been helpful uh there was a time where the fitness session we're doing with some of the team found it too challenging so we adjusted it basically so it was more inclusive and i'd say on an average thursday um I, the vast majority of the team are there and they seem to value it which is good i think on a bigger company scale it can be probably slightly trickier and, and uh, there, there was quite a few there was there was a you know quite a few that were released basically where a business would share it with the employees in the company uh, and there'd be any number of different features it could be um, access to maybe a psychologist or a psychotherapist uh, there could be health health and fitness advice the, the take-up seems to be quite low now just when i speak to people that maybe that's not necessarily what people are looking for i think it is a hard balance to get i think the bigger the company probably the more diverse the needs of the staff that are there but it's exactly like you say maybe that sweet spot is just talking to people what's going to work best for them in terms of how you can support them as part of the, their whole life journey yeah 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 no i think i know the big company you're talking about there but i think like what's coming to mind as you're talking about this is what's striking me is that you know you see we we very rarely question our conditioned business approach or our conditioned business model what's very clear to me is that the existing model that's been inherited kind of from the industrial age it just isn't fit for purpose anymore in in, in many many ways um i mean primarily even around I think creating profit, actually. But actually, when it comes to employees, there's very much a kind of a this ingrained command and control. It is changing, but command and control, 95, it's linked to time. And I think, if anything, maybe what the pandemic showed us was that it doesn't have to be linked to time, even though a lot of people still use that model. Now, you work off a model. Most people work off a model in, in many different areas of their lives in terms of their time. So I think for most of it's just nine to five and everything else. And even our contracts and everything else are structured very much like that, you know, 40 hour week or whatever. Mm. But I think there's an opportunity to me around, you know, creating a different type of organization that's more fit for purpose for the years to come, especially the next decade, which is going to be highly disruptive. Now, if you if you have disruption in any context, for most people that brings stress. Stress damages well-being. And I think our focus should be on results, not necessarily on time. So, so, so like you're quite progressive, I know, in terms of different things you'll try out with your own, within your own team. And for example, I really like that idea about, as you got the terrific Thursday training or whatever the, the acronym was. Well, mm-hmm. But I like that idea of kind of doing something that's disruptive so people can experience something different as opposed to thinking about it or thinking about what it isn't, right? But for me, more organizations should think about, look, what are the results we're trying to achieve? Okay, and obviously you're gonna have bottom line results, but I increasingly think that employees should be, or organizations should be looking at, well, actually, how do we measure well-being? 
Exactly. Because if we genuinely look after our staff and encourage them, and maybe even we structure our bonuses around things like that, so managers are incentivized to not only get results within the organization, but also within their team in terms of uh, well-being or whatever kind of factors you have around that, there's an incredible opportunity coming, I think, even with AI. I think AI could, could help this a lot. So I just think it's all up for grabs, but you have to kind of look at what are we trying to create over this organization? What kind of cultures do we want to create? And then how do we get how do we get there? So I know even, for example, in the last 12 months, some clients I've worked with are experimenting with this four-day week. Mm. And, and for, you know, you have to, an experiment means you take a trial and yeah. you see what, what's good, what's bad, what's working, what's not. But on the whole, the feedback that I'm seeing so far is that it's actually quite good. Yeah. But, but what it's forcing is what's most important as, as results, what's most, what's most important as outcomes. The staff are buying into it. So, you, you know, if, if you stay doing the same things, you get the same result. If we change things, we'll get a different result. And then it's experiment. Yeah. yeah. Um, I spoke to actually um, a woman recently who uh, they um, ran a trial around a four-day week. Now, good, good sized business, probably thirty people in the worst of Ireland. Uh, I really appreciate how honest she was, uh, you know, directly to me yeah. in relation to how uh, the process was going. So, uh, one of the first things she said: "There's no question, you definitely get a lot more applications." Um, we had a bit of a joke where, and I, I won't repeat uh, who, who said it, but she said, "Sometimes the people who are applying for." Four day week are the last people you'd yeah. offer for a four day yeah. week too. Yeah. So I appreciate her honesty around that. But her, her four day week is compressed hours, so they work longer. So Monday to Thursday, she said that the, the most people wanted not to work on the Friday. Yeah. Um, the, the desks still had to be the, the the roles still had to be manned on those days, basically. Yeah. So they had to come up with a very good solution around that. Um, and she said it was far from simple, but that there was the leadership level, there was a mature determination to make it work. You know that when they came across challenges that there was a good level of determination that, you know, the, the way of the world now, you're contactable most of the time. Sometimes if your phone is ringing on a Friday and it's significant your interest to answer, it takes a lot of discipline. So maybe having two mobile phones in that situation um, but I, 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 I could certainly see that being something that could be uh, for, for some sectors, as we know, you know, probably 50 percent of our clients are in sectors like construction, engineering, whereby, yeah. you know, they, 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 they're more likely to have people who are working in those roles, you know, whether it's retail, uh, you know, it, it's, it's less likely that a shop would be open for four days, uh, just, just as an example. Um, yeah, no, those kind of things, it's, it's more difficult. But I, I just think that and obviously there's some industries where you, you just have certain restrictions. But then if you don't have those restrictions, I just think there's an amazing an opportunity right now to say hang on a second here like what are you trying to create from your organization and obviously like for a lot of people they might think very short term they might just think listen i'm just trying to attract and retain talent okay fine but in today's world you got to look for what, what matters to people and so it is this dance continuously like most of my day-to-day -day still paul as you'd know i'm probably on the employer side where I'm, I'm dealing with the CEO, or I'm dealing with the entrepreneur, yeah. so I'm kind of maybe biased there. But my job is also to challenge them. So, so I do think it's kind of a two-way dance that like there needs to be a bit of give and take. To your point, what you're saying about that woman, it's never a simple solution. It's never a straight line. But you kind of, I always think about experimentation. Got to try these experiments and see what works. Yeah. And then say, right, do we ditch it or do we try something new? But overall, what, why are we even trying in the first place? The bottom line is for me, you have to remember like a fundamental principle. Do you think you get some? Do you think do you get the best out of somebody when their spirits are good, when their mind is good, when they're in, in good physical health or reason? Like without being a you know down to five percent body fat, like you can just be in reasonable good. Like when you're up and your and your state is up, your mood is up, 
you give better, you get better, you handle problems better, you're more creative. And that's really the key variable that I see for most leaders, as you know, you know, yeah. is that you're trying to educate people to say, listen, look, this isn't just about me sweating you to get the best out of you, because employees would be naturally and rightly suspicious based on some of the track records of, of companies. But if you're showing them, actually, look, by you understanding how to manage yourself mentally, emotionally, you can have a better life. Now, if I throw in with that, and it's funny, you know, we're talking about healthy cultures. I'm often I'm often bemused by the fact that, you know, a lot of companies still don't take a personal an, an interest in people's personal goals and help them with their personal goals. Yeah. And and they seem to keep this kind of distinction away. No, we can't talk about that. And sometimes even employees don't like talking about it, and that's fine. But I personally think that the best leaders that that I've worked with, the best leaders that I've worked for, they always took a natural interest in me. As yeah. in they, they want. They took a natural interest in. No, no. I'm kind of interested in you, Paul, as a person. What, what are you about? What are you trying to do? You're saving for a mortgage. You're trying to buy a house, or you're trying to go on a holiday for three months. But like, what are you trying to do? What's important? And then I try and link to the job and the culture to say, listen, if you're winning, we're winning. So it's trying to get that overlap. That, yeah. that it's not that it's all about the business winning and you're losing. That's not good either. Now that's bad. Yeah. Or, or the employees winning, taking the mick, and the business is losing, which can happen too. So you're trying to get this balance. And the symmetry, yeah, the alignment, the alignment piece. Uh, yeah. I mean, one of the things I'd say is, and, and obviously we we worked together, um, you know, over the last say six or seven years, and you've been a huge support. As has uh, there's obviously a group called the Inner Circle, um, which is primarily entrepreneurs, people who run business or operate senior management roles. Um, and I, I would have seen you, you know, so when COVID came along, that was really what kickstarted the vast majority of people's view around remote working. Whereas I think you were probably quite enlightened on that front, and that you've um, because you, you, you obviously want a business yourself, but yeah. you would have had, um, you know, uh, sort of virtual PAs and support people at a time where that was less common. Uh, and then also, if you remember, and I'd say this is probably like 2018, 2019, um, engaged people was going through growth, which was good. I was finding it really challenging to get strategic work done while at my desk, you know, and I felt if I wasn't there the whole time, uh, you, you would encourage me to do what we call sort of a disappear day, um, which uh, sounds like great crack, but it's really that. I'm not. I'm not in my email, and I'm not on the phone uh, to cancel clients all day. Um, and I, I would say that as much as anything else was revolutionary, really. And I remember sometimes saying it to people. I wouldn't say if if I thought that their mindset wasn't going to be aligned to that, I wouldn't say I was embarrassed saying it. But I was thinking to myself, going, I'm not sure this is going to be received. Now, at the end of the day, I didn't. It wasn't much I didn't care, but it was like you know, th th their view might have been, look, if you're not at your desk from eight o'clock to six o'clock, um, but that's probably, you know, taught me a lot about when I was speaking with people on my team and, and people in leadership roles who had lots of stuff to get done every week, but were really struggling to do it, probably beating themselves up and feeling lousy about it, both personally and professionally. Um, you know, I strongly encourage that now where people would take time away and I won't be ringing them on those days and I won't be scheduling meetings either. So um, I, I think having that sort of transformational mindset about how things can be achieved that are away from what you call the industrial age, I think is probably a smart way to, to, to sort of plan things out. Yeah, and just out of curiosity, from your perspective, then, you know, you know, if you're encouraging somebody in your team to take to step away, what change does that cause? Like, what's the difference? I th I, there's resistance sometimes. So that I, 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 you know, we have a management team of three, three or four people. Um, they, you know, there's definitely um, one woman who she works from home Mondays and Fridays. I think works very well for her um, in terms of managing that. Um, I think some people just like. 
the busyness of being at their desk and getting stuck in the whole time. And they probably do manage to step away from their desks. I just wasn't able to do it myself personally. I, I couldn't fit in an hour's strategy here and there. It just was never going to work for me. So yeah. what I, I do my disappear day is that and it requires a lot of discipline. I you know I exercise first thing in the morning. So I'm an early riser. I exercise first thing. And then I, I get stuck into those big rocks that I have sort of schedule and diarize. And it's really just not opening up outlook until, you know, later on that day. I still need to be, stage of business rat, I still need to be somewhat responsible. Of course, no, of course. But would you say though that what you're really doing is you, that 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 works for you to basically to elevate your thinking? Correct. Yeah. Like you're you're more strategic in your thinking, and so like I think again, it depends on what the person's job is, what their role is. And uh, most people addicted to being busy, they don't even realize they're addicted to being busy. So if you just say to somebody, look, take a couple of hours out here now, and I want you to kind of think strategically, uh, <laughs> they kind of go. What does that even mean? Right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's a, sometimes there's a bit of explaining to them what does that even mean? Like what are the kind yeah, of questions yeah. you might want to ask? But people are so addicted to being busy that they don't realize that that's even part of the problem. Yeah. So I think, um, and it's also, it's also linked to, to, to realize that actually look, the quality of your thinking is affected. Sometimes it's affected by your environment. So you change your environment there to change your thinking. You, you did exercise, which changed your state. That's what I'm hearing. And when you change your state, you, you, you elevate the quality of your thinking because if you're trying to think at a higher level, you have to look at your environment. You also got to look at the inner environment. So it's outer and inner. Yeah. So, um, but it, what's funny is, I don't know if I ever said this to you, but there was some research there over the last couple of years where they were saying that, you know, they were asking, I think it was something like 10,000 executives. I think it was McKinsey research. I mightn't be 100% on that, but they, they certainly surveyed about 10,000 executives two or three years ago. And they asked them, like, what's the number one skill for leaders in the future, in the coming decade? And the number one skill that they all said was strategic thinking. Right now, but then the next question was, <laughs> what's the number one skill? No one thinks that you'd like to have more time to do strategic thinking. Yeah, correct. So, so people are just caught up with the business. Yeah. And this is also though reflected in the culture. It's coming from the culture. So you kind of, it does need to start with the leader at the top. That's why, for example, with me, Paul, like I generally now, anyway, at this point in my career, I would be very slow to come in and try and make any sort of change in an organization unless... I first have worked with the CEO because if I can get in to talk to the CEO, communicate with them, they understand my approach, then, and also that we're aligned, then there's a chance for change. You see, it just, whatever the leader is, man or woman or whatever, that whatever they are ripples into the organization. So, you know, whatever, so their vision for what the organization could become, whether it's large or small, is really, really critical. It's really mm-hmm. critical. I can't stress that because whatever they see and whatever they are, is, is what's going to happen. Yeah. So, so HR could come up with some fantastic initiative for our four-day four week. I was going to say four-hour week. That'd be a bit extreme. Four-day four week, right? Mm-hmm. Or any of the changes. Um, it's probably not going to work yeah. unless, yeah. unless you've got complete buy-in with the CEO. And in relation to that, then, if we look at, say, a lot of the companies we would work with now, we've a good, you know, it's a good blend of multinationals and, and, you know, international financial services companies, but there'd be a good number of Irish businesses, usually somewhere between five to 75 million euro turnover, 50 to 100 people. It would be more common that this scenario would exist whereby they're losing good people at all levels on a continuous enough basis. 
I would generally find the leadership team they, they, they want to do the best. I mean, you sometimes have maybe a what you might call sort of an old school leadership team, and you know, who aren't up for changing, and, and that's you know, it, it, it's a tricky one to navigate. But others, you just want to know what the next steps are. When you're having those conversations, what what, what do you see as being effective communication from top to bottom and back up again, or how how do you see what 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 triggers are you listening for, where you're thinking to yourself, going, okay, well, the, the, you know, the, the, the these guys are moving the right direction or, or the opposite. I don't know if this surprise this would surprise you or not, but if I'm talking if I'm if I'm talking about the leaders in the organization, the very first thing they're looking at is the level of stress that they might have because um that will dictate the quality of the communication. And the less stress the better the communication. So stress, stress stress really affects communication because it affects your ability to, to listen. It affects your ability to really hear and see what's going on with someone or a team or a group. It affects your clarity of thinking. So that's why I'm quite boring, I think, in a way that I'll, I'll keep kind of looping back, probably as you'd know, to, to what, I, what we call state management. And I'm, I'm, like, I'm a massive fan of communication. I love to write. I love to speak. It's part of my day-to-day job. I've constructed a business around being able to do that, which is amazing. But the thing I've learned the most is it doesn't matter what I know or how good I think I am at speaking or presenting or listening. If my state isn't correct, it's just nothing else matters. And it's kind of an 80-20 variable to me, like it's, it's 80% of the equation, you know? So after that, you know, you can, you can, you can, you should always like the, the higher you go the in, in an organization in terms of seniority, the more you should focus on your communication and, and it's yeah, a skill. Yeah. In particular, though, Paul, I think I would have a concern that I think there's one element of communication that I think is going backwards, and it is listening. And I think it's happening because of the incredible mental busyness that is facing this generation. It's just relentless. It's, it's, it's snuck in. I think even most people listening perhaps to your podcast now think, yeah, I can relate to that. But I think I would challenge that most people I know wouldn't even realize how bad it is for them. That I'm not talking about what the corporate world would call proactive listening, where I say, oh, yeah, Paul, so what you're saying is X, Y, and Z. It's beyond that. It's the ability to be able to really listen at a deep level, almost to what's not being said. Now, in your world, I know you're a good listener because that's your job and where you're paid to listen because you're looking for, you know, you're interviewing candidates at a, at a senior level. You're looking for the subtle nuances. But, you know, I'm not there with you all the time. You know, when, you, when you're listening to your staff, would you be as good? I don't know. I mean, that's a genuine question. You'd hope you would be. But like that's, that's, I think, an area that I think is going backwards for most leaders because it's the business of mind. So stillness of mind, actually, bizarrely, is going to become a critical leadership skill for the future. It, the stillness of mind, the ability, the ability to be able to have a still mind in a world that's getting faster is an interesting little paradox. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And we might revisit the uh, the the interaction piece in terms of the one, one has with their team and colleagues. But ju- just on the piece around stage, what, what do you see of the hallmarks of a thriving professional? And when I say professional, I mean someone who manages, you know, their whole life, their personal and professional life. But when you look around the people you work with who you see, you know, fulfilled and have no doubt they have their challenging days, but what, what are the what 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 are they proactively doing week to week that you think gives them the best chance of success? Um, well, I love the word thrive, as you know. There's a certain kind of a vibe that comes with it. It's kind of a unique type of word to me. I think, first of all, they would be proactive in the four human dimensions, which would be like physical, 
health, mental health, emotional health, and then spirit, spiritual health. And we can talk perhaps again about what spiritual health might mean to me. But those four areas they'd be very proactive in consistently. I think the second thing is they would more likely than not have very healthy, positive goals. And they would be probably obsessed with maintaining momentum, the M word, momentum in those areas. And then the third the third area would be, um, I, this is the personal one that I would have observed that I probably am attracted to, um, is that they're decent human beings. In, in my experience, like, you know, thriving isn't all about getting all the toys in the shop and getting all the marbles in the jar. It's, it's also about, to me, it's about decency. So the character comes into it the level of substance that they have as a human being and um, that you mentioned there, you know, they still have their challenges. And if somebody's thriving, they won't be afraid of stepping into challenge and they'll have high resilience and have that confidence about them. But that when they're tested under pressure, that they show their decency. And I think that that ripples into a lot because it also affects, I think, somebody's ability to even just sleep at night, that you're going to feel you like yourself, you know, that you're a decent person and you're good to be around. Doesn't mean you don't challenge, but that's an important factor to me, yeah. Do you come across resistance to, so you mentioned mental and physical? Now, I think most people can quickly relate to that. Yes. You mentioned about emotional and spiritual, the investment of time. Do you come across much resistance to that? <laughs> Paul, I come across resistance every day to everything. <laughs> it's gotten less. Like, I mean, when I started in this game, I mean, I'm obviously, you know, I'm a massive proponent of the inner game and mindset. I mean, I've seen massive changes over the last 20 years to people's openness. I very rarely, I used it there with you, but I very rarely probably use the word spiritual because it's a triggering word for a lot of people, especially, you know, if you're Irish, if you're Catholic. So I probably don't refer to it like that. I might say spirit or high energy and things like that. Um, obviously, in the corporate world, emotional intelligence has become a buzzword. There's a lot of interest in it. I think that that's overall positive. I still think there's a long way to go because I think some of that's almost too intellectual. But I think a lot of the bottom line is that, you know, I'm lucky I deal with very smart people. They're generally open to having a conversation. And part of my job is to, it's just to get clever with explaining something that's logical and then linking it to results. Like the bottom line is if, if you can show results, you'll open doors in people's minds. Cynicism in my job is just it's part of my day to day. You know, it's, it's, it's just part of the job. I'm so used to it now, I forget it. Yeah. If I don't get cynicism, I'm actually a bit cynical myself. It's like, where's the cynicism? I need, I need some cynicism. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, I think, you know, it's, it's probably 10 or 15 years since I started to read about uh, meditation and, you know, yeah. taking time away and breathing and just the impact. I think I think if people have an interest in sport now, it's it's so commonplace in the discussion about being in the moment, you know, and, and how, how to achieve that. Um, I do laugh sometimes when, when we meet up, obviously, we meet um, regularly at 7 a.m., usually in a hotel somewhere and one of the staff walks in and it's you talking and a group of 20 uh, people, adults sitting around with their eyes closed with their hands out doing a deep breathing session. <laughs> now and i'm sure it, it, it comes surprise to some people but I, I i it's pretty common now within you know i read about multinationals you know when i look down the benefits program a lot of the business have meditation rooms and so forth so i i, I certainly believe it's more common um, but, but if we really want to stretch we can start talking about energy then you see and that might that might put the cat amongst the pigeons you know energy at a deep level so like it's funny like what, what used to let's say five years ago what was taboo or, or what was woo woo now is actually becoming mainstream, which is what I'm interested in. So I guess if you're asking me honestly, I'm always probably looking to what's next. But it's funny, I was only saying to somebody, back in the 70s in Ireland, 1970s, um, the Catholic Church denounced yoga from the pulpit. And they said to Irish people, if you attend yoga, 
you're attending the devil's work. And if you look at yoga now, like it's so mainstream, it's a, it's a, obviously a huge industry, but it's also seen very much as kind of now it's a spiritual goal too. So it's yeah. just funny how, how people's minds change with time. That's going to continue. But like, if you ask me now, I'm just incredibly optimistic about uh, uh, like globally, but also specifically with Ireland, because I just see so much change and openness around the inner game in particular. A lot of it has come from sport. But something happened in the pandemic that people are more open than ever. And I find that's, um, I, you know, there's always cynicism. And I think that's good, especially as an Irish person. I think you should challenge a little bit. I think that's good. It's in our culture. But I, I'm very excited about the openness that I'm seeing. Yeah. Just to what a final piece, just Shane, that you've, um, you know, I, I think it's been a real value add just in, in you know, my own day to day is about having a personal professional rocks each week. And actually, it, this links into the communication piece. Um, I think if you're in a busy, so we, we work in open plan office, most of the time, there's, you know, there's a number of people in there. Um, and on a good day, someone asks you a question out of the blue and you'll turn away from your keyboard and give them your full attention. It's not always the case. And it, it's being able to, you know, for, first of all, have the right communication to be able to say, look, I 100% want to address that now is not an amazing time but it's building in the rocks then proactively to say that we have a meet of time each week that it's not that you're always pushing these conversations out because you know and in terms of bringing people i think you know that have to have the right opportunity to speak whether it's me or someone else on the team that they have an audience you know and, and, and they're able to listen and talk through the, you know the various challenges that exist um just the, the the rocks piece i mean you'd be amazed how rarely that exists for lots of people i know is, is, is that a is that a busyness thing that people like being busy and they just kick kick cans down the road in terms of stuff that has to be done but maybe procrastinate on it yeah well some, sometimes it's just it's just um it's not knowing that there's another way you know and, and there's, an, there's an education piece there's sometimes an awareness piece and um, but just you, you're saying rocks like everybody like do your listeners know what a rock is like have you defined that before <laughs> so i mean like it comes from it's not it's not my story but it comes from maybe we can share it as part of your show notes in the podcast sure, yeah. so i'll share i'll share a link with the, the video called the rocks in the jar story and it's me just telling that particular story now i heard it first from stephen covey of the who wrote the seven habits of highly effective people but essentially it's just a story that just talks about um you know prioritizing the few things in your life that matter the most and to get them into what he called the jar before the rest of the items in the jar. So, for example, he would have said, like, you know, like he would call it the day to day stuff, you know, sand, of which there's thousands and thousands and millions and millions of grains of sand. There's kind of maybe gravel, which is maybe bigger things. But the rocks in the jar would be the most important things. For example, your health, your, your key relationships in life, your, maybe your financial security. That's the person. But in work, then I think the analogy is very relevant. So, everybody's role is to say, well, what are the top three to five? strategically important things that need to happen this month, this week, uh, even top three today. So as you know, Paul, I'll always encourage clients to think like, look, it's really a version of thinking of the 80-20 principle, which is what's the 20% or the few things that are really going to move the dial here? If you play the game of trying to get everything done, which to your point, I am still shocked at how many people play that game. I, I you know, I, If you'd asked me 10 years ago, I said, no, it'll be gone by 2023. It's not. I think it's probably just getting worse. So it's just, what are the few things that matter the most? Because not everything is the same priority. And few things really move the dial. And if you've got a clear mind, this has come back to state and clarity. If you've got a clear mind that has gotten better at thinking critically, 
it's easier to identify what are the few things that matter the most because it does require a little bit of clarity. If you're busy, if you're tired, you just get caught up with the doing. So that side of things, is such, it's such, such a game changer for people to say, listen, it is possible for you to knock it out of the park in terms of results by doing less. So even just to say that that's possible, even if somebody's listening to this thinking, now that's these two guys are off their head. Um, but I'm just saying it is possible. At least you might get a slide up and say, well, hang on a second, let me watch that video. So watch the video, see what people think. And if they want to find out more of what you look, they can ask you and engage. Yeah. You, you can do a little special engage session on rock for them. Well, thanks for most certainly would include your rocks in the in, in our video. Um, Shane, you've been very good. I, as I mentioned to you before, there is there's a sort of a sweet spot of 30 to 40 minutes. So I'm, I'm going to, uh, to to start to wrap things up. Um, you you obviously a very successful podcast yourself. Where, where, where can people find you um, if, they, if they want to get in touch? Thank you. Yeah, it's called The Inner Edge. The Inner Edge by Shane Craddock. So it's on all the big major platforms like Apple, Amazon, and Spotify. So it's all there. So it goes out every Monday, uh, every week. So it's it's uh, it's surprised me at how popular it is, but it's it's I enjoy it. Cool. If people want to connect with you, it's uh, Shane Craddock on LinkedIn would be as good as anywhere. Shane Craddock on LinkedIn, or they can go to shanecraddockwith1d.com on my website. Brilliant stuff. Shane, thanks very much. I re- re- really enjoyed your company today. 